everybody. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, romance, erotic fiction, and attractive men. Ooh. Your couple has to come together, even if it's many couples getting together at the end, or a woman with five men, or, you know, a, a man with five women. It doesn't matter. There's got to be that happy ending, and it's got to be satisfying. You know, it is, it's a tough industry, especially when people find out you write about sex in your stories. Um, people can be real inappropriate, and you have to suspend a level of disbelief with him being a werewolf. You know, it's like, I don't know any werewolves. Do you know any werewolves? No. Um, you know, you, men cannot be perfect. Women cannot be perfect all the time. But in your stories, they can be darn near it. And that's a great escape for a little while. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. So ever since I was little, I remember going to stores like Walmart and places like that and seeing these romance novels. And then you would see them. People would be reading them in TV and movies. And I always just wondered... Who's writing these? And where are they getting these ideas? Our first guest is one of the authors who writes them. She's an international bestseller that focuses on romance and erotic fiction. This is Anna Lores. So did you read romance novels before? Or was this something that you kind of just jumped into? I'm an avid romance reader. Um, and I was before I started this journey into publishing. But I have an English literature um, degree. So my background is Middle and Old English. So I translated and read, you know, bukus of Old English and <laughs> Middle English works, um, which really sparked my interest in the romance genre. I didn't understand what the romance genre actually was until I started writing it. Um, I didn't know that there were all these rules that went along with it. That really, that really sparked my, my love for, uh, romance and romance novels and books and stories so what there's rules to it like what are the rules <laughs> okay so i didn't know this when i first started um the, you have to have a happy ending you have to have a happy ending it's not a romance unless there's a happy ending the driving force of a romance novel is the couple and their relationship. So that's got to be the central driving force of a romance novel. If you're writing romance, you have to have those two things straight up. If you don't, you're going to upset every romance reader out there. So, um, yeah, they have to, your couple has to come together, even if it's many couples getting together at the end or a woman with five men or, you know, a a man with five women. It doesn't matter. There's got to be that happy ending and it's got to be satisfying. A man with five women. I mean, that does. Okay. So where do you get these? Where do you get the ideas? Okay. Well, you know, that's really interesting because I've got a couple stories on how a few of my stories, a few of the novels that I've written and been published um, came out. One is with a woman with five, with uh, three, three men. And it's called Ella's Triple Pleasure. And I was at my house. I was living in Memphis, Tennessee. I was at my house. All my kids ended up with the flu. Um, and I had, you know, it was awful. All I can say is it was horrible. My husband was traveling on uh, for work. I was stuck home with three you know, sick kids. And they finally got a lull and I got on my couch and I thought, oh my gosh, how wonderful would it be if I had a man for each one of my children to help me? And that's what sparked that story. It was just, I was desperate. I was exhausted. Um, I was every mom out there who had 
you know, three kids with the flu or so, one kid with the flu. So when you're looking at it, like most people would maybe think the title is more from like a sexual thing, but you were just mm-hmm. looking for some help around the house basically. <laughs> I was, and it turned into a sexual thing, you know, in the story, because that's that's what um, I was writing about. But it sparked from just pure desperation of, wouldn't it be fabulous to have three guys helping me out at home and then pamper me when the day was over? <laughs> so that's that's how that came about. So is there a difference? Is there a difference between romance novels and erotic fiction, or is that the same thing? No, it's actually different. There, you could have um, erotic fiction is different than erotic romance. So I write erotic romance, which ends with a happily ever after, and the story is about the couple. So it's got the romantic elements of um, a centralized story with the characters' relationship, and then it's got a happily ever after. But it also includes sex in the bedroom so you're instead of the door closing in a novel that you might read from you know like a mystery or some other story in erotic romance you walk into the bedroom or a public room and you experience their um, sexual relationship do books have ratings can you only make it so r-rated or pg-13 like how does that work well, erotica, it can be anything up under the sun. I mean, with erotic romance and erotica, the two things that they have are uh, that are the same are the steamy hot sex. But um, there is not a, a, a PG rating. Um, if it is considered erotic romance or erotica, it pretty much automatically puts you into an over 18 category. So, you know, which makes sense. I have children. They don't need to be reading my books, you know, right now. <laughs> Their lives. <laughs> I should hope they wouldn't, you know, they, they're for adults. So um, Amazon has this special rating. If you're, if you are in the erotic romance um, rating, you're, pretty much not going to be shown to almost anybody. So you have to specifically search for that book. But if you, there's like 50 shades of gray has, um, it's got an erotic rating, but it's also got a romance rating. So it is shown under contemporary romance as a lot of books like I write are. So, I have some that are more steamy that I have put into um, the erotic category because I feel like that's where they should be. Um, but a book like Ella's Triple Pleasure or my Paranormal series One Night of Love, those have some sex in it, but not any more than you really more so than you would get in a contemporary romance. I mean, you might get a little bit more, but it's it's still in that adult range. So how did you get started? What motivated you to kind of write the first one? Well, I I ended up with insomnia. It's uh, I've had it for about 14 years now. Um, and I started reading... I read 400 to 600 books a year oh at a minimum. Yeah. I mean, I, and I was homeschooling my children. So I was homeschooling d- during the day. I was reading most of the night. Um, and my husband was like, why don't you just write your own book? Because I would tell him about these books. And I'm like, I really, this is what I want to read. You know, he's like, just write one. And so I thought, oh. I'm going to give that a shot. And so I called a friend of mine and I, who's a, who's a big reader. And I said, I'm going to probably write a lot of crap at first, but would you read it and tell me what you think? And, um, she was great. She gave me really good feedback. I finally got a couple stories that I really loved. I ended up taking that encouragement 
and then sending it to some copy editors that I knew and um, some avid romance readers, just that we all, we all talked about books. And so it ended up being kind of like a, a book club of my books with my girlfriends. It brought me back to college where everything ended up being read on the page. And when I got the, the right story with the right characters and it got picked up, it's been a, an interesting ride, but it all started with insomnia. So when you write these novels, like what's the ultimate kind of goal behind them? Are you, are you trying to arouse people? Are you trying to fulfill a fantasy? Are you just trying to tell a good story? It's always the story for me. So it's the story and the characters. And I guess I'm an adult. So I write what I like to read. So, um, when I am working through the characters, they fall into bed just like a normal couple would, um, whether they're married or whether they're not married yet. There's something that drives them together, and usually the first connection is chemistry. So that plays a lot into it. Am I trying to, you know, is my, my initial goal always, oh, let's make this arousing? No, it's where are those characters? What drives those characters? What are their flaws? What what pushes them into those those places where they are together and what happens when it's their first time from the audience perspective though what is like what is most of the audience looking for are they looking for the arousal for the fantasy story or are they looking for kind of just to be entertained i think for me it's an escape for real life um and it's a central escape so is there a sense yes there is definitely a sense of arousal but it's the story that makes it work. So it's the story between the couple and their relationship that makes that makes it arousing or makes it not arousing. What is family or friends said about it, right? Because you hear like, oh, I'm a romance novelist. I'm an erotic fiction novelist. Is there a reaction to that or are people just kind of like, yeah, and some people, you know, work as accountants? Yeah. I, my family just, like, my immediate family knows what I do, but, yeah, my extent, no, just my, like, my husband and my kids know exactly what I write about, um, but outside that, not so much. I've got some friends, um, I've actually told a few people and gotten hate mail over it, and it's been really weird to me, um, but... Uh, I've also, you know, but the fans are great. Uh, I got a great review the other day and it was, you know, you get good reviews, you get bad reviews. You've been, if you've been a writer long enough, it's going to run the gamut. You can't please everybody and that's okay. It's not, every story is not for everyone. Um, but a great review, like I got the other day, and someone wrote, you know, I read this five times. I love this story. You know, it's like, wow, you hold on to those <laughs> because you might get a, you know, a one. And it runs the gamut with that with friends and family, too. Um, my family is pretty supportive overall of everything. They don't read my stories. Um, they shouldn't. You know, my children don't need to be reading adult fiction like this. And my husband is not a romance reader. You know, it is, it's a tough industry, especially when people find out you write about sex in your stories. Um, people can be real inappropriate at times and you just kind of have to roll with it. So between reading your book titles, Billionaire okay. 43, Billionaire 44, Ellis Triple Pleasure, Curse to Love, which one is your favorite book title? Just the title itself, like, ooh, that's a good romance title. Ooh. Oh, boy. I think One Night of Love. You didn't mention that one, but that probably is the when – I, when I came up with that, I just was like, yeah, 
even now, I'm actually looking at the cover of that book. I am too. You've got a wick. I love got- that. I love that title. So for people who are just listening to this, I'm looking at the book title of One Night of Love. It has an attractive man and woman on it and then a wolf in the background or the foreground. I get those confused. (laughs) So he's a wolf? What's the deal here? He is. He – and she doesn't know it. So she is just desperate to have a baby. Her husband is dying of terminal cancer and she's in denial. She goes – she's a massage therapist to the rich and famous. Um, and she's in Las Vegas where people go to do things they would never do in their normal lives. (laughs) And she, um, hooks up with a wolf. She hooks up with a wolf unknowingly (laughs) and then leaves. Oh no. And that's where things get crazy. Okay. Yeah. So, so listen. All right. Alpha male werewolf. <laughs> and just to be to be clear, it's it's a werewolf. It's not just a wolf. It's not that kind no, of thing. It's a werewolf. No, 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 no. <laughs> yes, no. We're not doing like Greek mythology. No. <laughs> so this is kind of my immediate reaction to that. It's okay. right, like, and and just explain it to me the way it is. Like okay. at one point, I think like, oh my god, that sounds so ridiculous. Why would every anyone read that? And then the other part of me is like. Oh, that's an interesting story. Like, how do you balance those two things out? I think that is a great question. Um, I think the story is within the balance. It is one of those where there's got to be a plausibility. You know, it's like Shakespeare. You have to um, be able to suspend your disbelief. And so you're reading about these two people and you have to suspend a level of disbelief with him being a werewolf. You know, it's like, I don't know any werewolves. Do you know any werewolves? No. Um, or it, maybe you do. I don't know if you do. Okay. <laughs> but um, the, the story itself is – is my own take on werewolf lore. So it's a little different than you would see in other stories. Um, It's got a sexual take on it and the mating, the mating ritual is a lot more intense and there are drastic consequences to being apart from your mate. And there's a, I hope that the that it works with the storyline that her situation is so desperate that it's just plausible enough that you can suspend your disbelief with the other elements of the story. Best yeah. best romance writing trope, worst romance writing trope. <laughs> you know, I'm a fan of the billionaires. So I'd have to say that's one of my favorites. Um, For me personally, I am not a fan of the, um, oh gosh, what is it called? Um, It's the one where the guys are jerks. They're just total, total jerks. I don't know how to say that in a nice way. Not, um, not like the BDSM stuff, but like the guy's just an asshole. No. Yes, there there is a romance trope where the guys just treat the women like total crap and the women just women just dig that. I don't. I've I just don't like that. In BDSM, you get the full range of them. You'll get uh, billionaires, BDSM, you know, great guys, total jerks. You get it. Is there like a section of the romance erotic fiction area that sells better than others? Like Supernatural sells better than Western and that sells better than the this. Or is there like a subset that people target the most? Um, it varies actually from year to year. So paranormal always sells. I mean, it always sells. I love, um, paranormal, um, erotic romance and that's one night of love and curse to love. Those two are both in that 
genre. Um, those always do well. The billionaire series always do well. Um, but it is up and down and it, it depends. Uh, historicals are huge. Historicals are huge. That's yeah. The men in kilts, all those. Yes. (laughs) Really? I just, oh my gosh. Yes. Is it the, what is it about the kilt? Is it the kilt specifically or is it just like anything? It's just that genre of writing you've got. I think it's with, um, you know, royalty and there's this, uh, there's a fantasy of, you know, being swept away, you know, by a duke, you know, you're a lowly maid or something. I don't know. And then there's, I've read a billion of those books and I love, I love them. Um, they're just fun. They're fun. What is the best erotic line or best line that you've written? Nick, I've written a lot of words. <laughs> I, I'm not one of those people that I sometimes I'll read my book. I go, wow, I had a good day that day. <laughs> um, I really can't like say, wow, this one really sticks out over the others. Is there one that you look back on though? And you're like, Ooh, that's, that's a little cringy. Like I even, maybe I even went too far there. No, I usually edit those out if I don't feel good about it. How do you feel about Fabio? Oh my gosh. You know, he's an icon <laughs> and that hair. And I love what he's done with his career and how he makes fun of himself now. I mean, he has been on a bazillion covers. He was Mr. Romance. You know, if you saw a book with his cover, you knew exactly what you were getting. He did a great job in um, branding himself. And then now that he's older, he's doing a great job continuing to brand himself and kind of poke fun a little at himself. I love those, like, something about the butter. It's like, what is that? It's the, I can't believe it's not butter. Didn't he do those? I think he did those commercials. Yeah. (laughs) They were awesome. I would giggle over all those. So, you know, Fabio is one of a kind and I, I do enjoy Fabio, (laughs) especially now (laughs) that he's older. Who's, who's kind of the heir apparent though? Is there a new man or woman that's kind of taken over that romance novelist cover role? Uh, you know, there's a guy, Jimmy Thomas. He has been on hundreds of covers. He is pretty incredible. He um, lives in California. I think he's a, a weight training dude. And um, he seems like, you know. Oh, yeah. He's got a good look for it. Yeah. I just, yeah. I so just, he's. I just Googled him. I'm now look, I'm a married man and like, oh, okay, I get it. Jimmy Thomas looks, he definitely yeah. looks like he works out, doesn't he? He does work out. I think he spends his entire life at the gym. Um, and that in posing. So, and I actually saw him speak at a conference and he seemed like a, you know, a decent guy. So just seemed like a normal, normal guy. He definitely, you can see why he could get so many covers, right? Because he could do multiple, he's kind of got like the supernatural look and the kind of clean cut look. He's got a lot of looks. Yeah, he's got a lot of pirate looks too. I think he's been on, he must have been on so many covers of historical romances. Um, Have you ever written something that made you blush? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. And my husband, my I, I write in my in my bedroom. I have it like sectioned off. I've got a little divider, and my husband comes in, and I'm writing fiercely on the on the keyboard, and he's like, "Ooh, what's this about?" <laughs> and so he's like, "Oh, you're blushing. You're writing a, a naughty scene." And I'm like, "Yeah, honey, I am." <laughs> I don't know what the follow-up question for me should be necessarily. Like, does I, don't then he... need, I don't think we need a follow-up question. Okay. For that one. All right. 
All right, I didn't know if I should. I didn't know if I should keep going or if I should just drop that one. Um, yeah, no, yeah, we. So um, he recognizes it. Yes, I blush, and uh, it makes for an interesting life. That's for sure. I would imagine it does, right? Like, what do you think, though? What do you think is the the need for this? Like, why do people kind of get drawn to these books? You know, I, I, from personal experience, just I can really only speak to my own. And I think it speaks kind of to a certain age of women. The books that I write really appeal to women around 30 to 55, 60. Um, you get to a point in your life and it's just like you need an escape. These are not hard reads. They are, you don't have to work at them. You can pick them up, you know, enjoy an escape, enjoy reading about a very good looking man, um, you know, pleasing a woman and wanting to do all the things that are kind of unrealistic in real life. When you're married, you have life, you know, you've got kids or you don't have kids. You've got dogs or cats or you're living alone and, you know, you're working, you're schlepping a job, you're, you've got all of these responsibilities and romance novels take you out of that. And I think that, you know, I, I actually have a better relationship with my husband now that I'm a romance writer than I did prior to doing this. Um, I talk a lot more to him. Our, and it's, there's a, um, you know, knowing that I've got this <laughs> book boyfriend to go, oh, wouldn't it be, like I said, you know, with Ella's Triple Pleasure, wouldn't it be wonderful if I had a three men to just do it all? You know, that's not realistic. You know, you, men cannot be perfect. Women cannot be perfect all the time. But in your stories, they can be darn near it. And that's a great escape for a little while. Oh, that's a great answer. Um, that's honestly pretty much all the questions that I have. Is there any, anything else? Like what's coming up next for you? Well, I have three more stories in my Fertile Virgin um, short story books coming out soon my editor has them right now and she's working through them and then i've got the my debut um novels that i just got my rights back um from the horseless series that's going to be coming out in the next month or two um and then i've got i'm hoping to have two more of um Two more stories that no one has ever seen before come out um, by the end of the year. So I've got a lot happening. This is a big year for me. <laughs> big year. I want to thank Anna so much for joining us. If you want to connect with her, we have linked to her on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we have also included links to her books and to her website in the RSS feed that's on this podcast. I think that she said something really interesting at the end. Because you hear some of these stories and like what the themes of these novels are about. And maybe you think it's this and maybe you think it's that. But who cares? If people like them, if it's an escape, let people enjoy themselves. Okay. Now let's go ahead and give John Shaw a call. Hello. Okay. When you're folding laundry, do you take the laundry out of the dryer, put it into the laundry basket, take it to the closet, and then fold it? Or do you take it out of the dryer, fold it, put it in the basket, then take it to the closet? Uh, take it as one big pile, then you know, take it to the closet, then fold it. Okay. Do you usually put it in the laundry basket, or do you try to do the thing where you hold everything in one arm 
are both arms, but inevitably stop and have to drop things and keep going back and forth. I have done that, uh, like an idiot. But no, I uh, I usually put everything in the basket and, and take it that way. My wife really doesn't trust me to do the laundry anymore because I've messed it up so many times. So. How do you mess up laundry, honestly? Like, what did you do? Uh, just this past February, this is laundry related, uh, is when I flooded my basement because as I was dumping a bunch of clothes into the washer, I didn't realize that I uh, one of my daughter's socks had gone into the the wash drain next to the to the washer, and then my basement flooded because of it. I mean, it's really incredible to me. Like, I've never messed up laundry in any way, honestly. Mixing colors, shrinking anything, and you've managed to turn a relatively simple thing into flooding your house. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, listen, that that maybe doing laundry is I, I you know, I might give a, get a pass on that for the first two times, but flooding my basement, I mean, that was just a just a stupid move. I don't I don't have any excuse for it. Just it's stupid. What do you do after you do something really stupid? I, <laughs> I mean, I guess it depends who's gonna know about it. If it's my wife, I usually just just come right out with it, you know, and like, hey, I flooded the basement. There's six inches of water under, you know, on half the basement. Don't be mad at me. Do you preface it with don't be mad at me? Because I feel like then if you say something, it's like saying this is a stupid question and then you ask the question. Like if you give people the opportunity to think something about the thing that you're about to do or say, that's that's the wrong way to do it, right? Like it wasn't a stupid question until you told me, "Hey, this might be a stupid question." Then automatically, I think it's a stupid question. Well, I think I mean you called me out a few times because I do that. I do do that. So uh, whether I know it or not, I, I often preface what I'm about to say with with something before it. Instead of just getting to the point, I, I waste people's time by saying other things. Yeah, you really do. <laughs> Any, I am listen. I'm trying to work on it, though. I, I, I have I have realized I do that, so I'm going to try to be more direct in the future. How do you try to work on it? What are you doing? Are you, like, going through exercises? Are you talking to, your, to yourself in the mirror? What are you doing to work on it? <laughs> I think I've actually read some articles on it. It's more just more about recognizing when I'm about to do it. And then, you know, there's several several things you can do to try to, you know, curb the excessive bullshit, so to speak. And just get to the point. Okay. All right. So, are these scholarly articles or what kind of articles are we talking about? <laughs> Did you find this on Facebook or is this legitimate – do you feel like this is a legitimate helpful resource? Uh, well, I, I don't know if anyone that uh, – any article I was reading was from a doctor. I can tell you that. But I, I didn't get them from Facebook either. So I'm going to go in the middle. I'm just, listen, I'm, just, I'm just trying to get better. You know. Right. So let's practice. All right? Sure. Would you rather be a tree or a bush? I'd rather be a tree. See, you didn't have to say I'd rather. You could have just went straight with tree. Gah, see? See, I, and I, didn't even, I didn't even realize it. All right, but now try- that you said that, I probably will realize it. Okay, let's try this again. Would you rather be a tree or a bush and why? A tree because they're sturdy. Nice. <laughs> okay all right yeah i'd rather be a... I, just, I, I i you know i i might be too late in my life to to really for it to matter but i i've realized that maybe i talk too much or unnecessary uh talking and maybe maybe everybody does do it i think everyone does do it no i don't think that well a lot of people do they just don't get to the point right like you don't unnecessarily talk like you just don't get straight to it Right? It's like I got to go on eight detours before I get to my destination every time. That's Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Right? You are getting better. So let's go ahead and let's... let's... Did you do that okay. on purpose? What did I do on purpose? That loud scratching sound? God, right as I'm... I didn't have a scratching sound on my end that I know of. Well, right as I'm complimenting you for doing better, you then make this sound right into the microphone. I didn't... I'm just walking around in my basement. First of all, okay, when you walk, do your legs do your legs touch? <laughs> no, not, I, I haven't given up that much on life. You don't have – you've got thigh gap? <laughs> I, I do have thigh gap. Okay. I don't, I don't want thigh gap. Or I, 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 I want to have thigh gap. I do not want to have my thighs touching. Okay. All right. All right, let's go ahead. Let's, let's hear your thing, man. Let's jump in. <laughs> 
All right, let's dive in. Uh, so let's give out some some well-deserved shout-outs here. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, check us out, Profoundly Pointless. Uh, we'll start with Don, Joel Brown, Duncan McCannell, uh, Jennifer Meyer, appreciate you guys, uh, Shell Jackson, uh, Lara, uh, Carrie Marshall, uh, Paul Manfredo, and my favorite name of the day, uh, Ted Beaver, or uh, Braverman, not Beaverman. <laughs> Braverman. <laughs> My favorite name of the day, Ted Braverman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say that again, Ted Braverman. And I apologize if I just, uh, you know, said your last name with a beaver in it. Um, so, yeah. So I only screwed that up a little bit. So so there's that. Um, okay. I have I have one thing. I have a shout out to uh, Disc Bird. And it kind of leads me into a shout out slash question for you. So Disc Bird who's a regular listener of the show, sent me a direct message and I responded to him and I thought I gave him a nice response because he had a good suggestion for us. But upon looking back at the response that I sent about a month later, I said something that would actually be interpreted as pretty rude. Like I basically said his suggestion was old and dumb when I actually (laughs) meant to say it was good and I liked it. So here's my question. Do you think that you have ever significantly offended or said something rude to somebody and legitimately had absolutely no idea. Like that person could think that you're a complete asshole and it's a total misunderstanding. Oh God. Yes. A thousand percent, especially over text or or an email or something, because there's no like emotions that go with it. It's just text. And you can, you might not even necessarily know when you've done something dumb. I mean, the person I think I offend the most that way is my wife. I don't even realize it. And then an hour later, she's like, I'm really pissed at you. I'm like, what did I do? I just told you you look tired. Oh, dude, why would <laughs> you're an idiot? No, a, that was a long time ago. I learned not to do that after then. What? Why did you even have to learn? Like you should have learned that by about 13 or 14. <laughs> I guess we'll have to ask Papa Scholl. I don't know. Yeah. I did not learn that till I was a, a much older adult. No one likes to be called, hey, you look tired. Don't say that to anyone because you're basically saying you look like shit. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I got to tell you, I got I have a physical on Thursday. Uh, this upcoming Thursday, I'm a little nervous. I've never been nervous for a doctor's appointment in my life, and I'm a little nervous. Okay, what do you think you're going to weigh in at at the doctor's physical? Probably just under 280. Give me a specific number. You know what? I'm going to go over because I, I I think I'll be under, but I, I'm going to say 282 is what I'll weigh. Okay. All right. We're going to need to report back a week from now to get the official weight. I'm going to go <laughs> because no one actually weighs what they think they weigh unless they regularly get on the scale. I'm going to go 286. Okay. I, I think you're about 10 pounds too heavy, but I, I have no idea. So. Okay. All right, I'm let's just, move I'm on. I'm nervous, man. I'm worried I'm going to have high blood pressure and my my arteries are going to be clogged and I'm just I'm I'm like not ready mentally for it. Okay, if he was to poke you with a needle and draw blood and gravy came out, what kind of gravy would it be? <laughs> oh, man, that's a great question. Uh country gravy by far. Okay. All right. I know, yeah. A little sausage, uh, you know, it was sausage in it, like not not sausage crunchy gravy. I mean, that is the best gravy. I will give you that. At least you're making good selections with your gravy choices. <laughs> and I, I have to tell you, I have to say this too. I, I went and and had my allergies checked out, which I'm allergic to everything, by the way. Not that anyone cares. Uh, I literally checked seven off of the eight boxes of things I'm allergic to, but they checked my height, and I'm five eleven. Thank you very much. Nice. Was that shoes on or shoes off? Shoes off. Mm, that's it. So you can claim like, well, then you should be claiming a solid six foot. I'm, 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 I, that's what I usually do. My wife's like, no way you're five eleven. I'm like, ask Amy or whatever her name was that just checked it. Shout out to Stacy at USA Life Insurance, five, eight and three quarters <laughs> on my end. Um, all right, let's move on. Let's move on. All right. Um, pretty simple questions here for you. Wow. But, uh, that means you're three inches taller than me and over a hundred pounds heavier. <laughs> yeah, my, yeah, for sure. I know, man. Listen, I get it. I'm <laughs> uh, a regular potato or a sweet potato. A sweet potato. Come on, easy, right? I mean, that's stupid a question. Easy question. Stupid. 
Um, I don't know if it's stupid, but either way. Uh, unicycle or tricycle? Hmm. I'd have to say probably a tricycle, right? Because nobody looks at somebody on a unicycle and thinks, oh, that looks cool. Or that person <laughs> doesn't need attention. Like, oh, they're just doing that because it's fun. Like a tricycle, you could at least kind of pass that off as like, man, it's badass. I don't tip over. It's a great time. <laughs> you can take it home from the bar. It's fantastic. Right. It's more practical, really, when you think about it. <laughs> uh, and then the last one, um, would you rather go to a circus or to a local uh, hometown carnival? How nice of a circus are we talking about? Like, are we talking, <laughs> I don't know if they exist anymore, but Ringling Brothers? Are we talking Cirque du Soleil? Like, have I heard of the name before? Or are we talking like Mort's Circus of Fun? Yeah, we're talking about like John's family circus at the, at, you know, the, the state mall. Okay, then I, w- I would probably go to a small town carnival instead. Cause at least you're going to see, like, you're going to see somebody get injured at that place, right? <laughs> <laughs> somebody I, uh, is I, throwing I up. Thing, I, I will not ride rides at a carnival. No, people shouldn't. Like, you really shouldn't. Apologies to all the carnies who listen to us, but you... I don't know if that's a derogatory term towards a carnival worker. Is carny derogatory? Uh, probably, but do you think that our our carnival crew listeners, or do you think there's a large population of those? I really don't know how many people it takes to run a carnival. Like, is that a lot of people? I'd imagine you need one per ride at the least. Like, is there a big infrastructure to set up the carnival? I don't know how that works. I, I don't know. All I know is my hometown, we had one every year on Memorial Day, and there was like 30 uh, motorhomes that would come rolling in. So I think there's a lot of people that go into making it work. I agree with that. Are we, are we ready for our top five? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's, let's do it. Okay, so our top five is top five men straight men think are attractive so this is two straight guys lists of the most attractive men that are out there what do you got for you what's your number five uh my number five justin timberlake (sighs) i mean i could see it but he doesn't just say like man to me right like i don't know if justin timberlake can fight or not but i'm not looking at justin timberlake being like man that jt he's a badass See, I mean, I, I would differ. I think JT's like what most men want to be. He can get down with the ladies, he can sing, he can dance, and then he can be like the cool guy when he wants to be. I don't think that he can. I think the fact that he can sing and dance immediately eliminates him from being one of the cool guys. <laughs> I think I I think I know where you're going to go with your list here. What's your number five? Hugh Jackman. Well, wow, never mind. You completely threw that one to the shitter. You gonna you gonna say anything about Hugh Jackman? I, I can't. I, I, you know, I wasn't. I was unaware really of him. Uh, as of fucking like Wolverine. How are you six unaware? Or seven of... years ago, I didn't really know much about him. And I met my wife, and she's a huge Hugh Jackman fan. I've kind of come around on him. He's he's fine. I have no issues with with him whatsoever. All right. What's your number four? Uh, let's see. My number four, and I hate to put him on here, but I have to do it. And that's Bradley Cooper. Oh, I don't see that at all, man. I don't get it. I disagree. I don't see it. I don't see the Bradley Cooper thing. He does seem like he's probably a D-bag. But I don't see Bradley Cooper on the list. Uh, you know, I, I didn't want to put him on there, but the more that I looked at <laughs> at the other men that, uh, you know, we could have put on here. I mean, once again, he's like a, five, a five-star talent, right? Can mm. act, sing, dance. He's good-looking. He's muscular. You know, he can hang out. He can be one of the dudes. I don't see it. <laughs> what, number four, Ricky Martin. <laughs> no, what, what's your number four, Ricky Martin? Okay. Uh, hmm. Ricky Martin, the Latin singer. Ricky Martin. Who are you thinking of? No, no, I'm thinking of that Ricky Martin. I'm just not. <laughs> you you kind of chastise my four, five, and four here. Saying that they couldn't like hang out, you know, and be be like one of the guys, but you're you're telling me that Ricky Martin can be? Yeah, because Ricky Martin is Ricky Martin, right? You're gonna tell me that's not a beautiful man? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I personally don't think so, but that's just me. Could have also put John Stamos in at number four. <laughs> oh my god! 
Oh, wow. I, <laughs> hmm. I had a lot of hope for your list. I really thought you were going to blow me away, and uh, so far, just uh, not happening. I are you think. Are you trying to tell me that Ricky Martin isn't blowing guys away? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to go into the sexual nature of this conversation at all. I don't know what you're even talking about. What's your number three? <laughs> oh, your list is so terrible, but it's it's fine. Hugh, um, Hugh Jackman's terrible. <laughs> I just. I mean, Hugh Jackman's fine. It's just Ricky Martin. I mean, you'll pick it up, though. I know you'll have better selections. Um, my number three is uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. See, I I don't get it, man. He always looked like an egg to me. <laughs> I, it always looked like the top of his head was too big for the bottom of his head. But, okay, so even if he gets a seven or an eight on looks, which, let's be honest, is probably more of like a nine or ten, he's the guy that every... 35-year-old man, straight man, wants to be. I don't see it with Leonardo DiCaprio. He does, he's not pushing my buttons. <laughs> but Ricky Martin does push your buttons? Oh, Ricky. Um, oh, my, my number All three, right. Jude Law. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, my God. Okay, I mean, he, he is a good actor. He's done some good things, but I, I, I don't see it. I don't see anyone... Except maybe Hugh Jackman so far. Okay. Who is your number three? <laughs> that, do you have anything more on Jude Law? Is that it? It's just Jude Law? No, I'm, no, just look at Jude Law. Like, really look at him. You're like, man, that's a good-looking guy. <laughs> okay, are we, what are we on? Are you on number we're two? On my, we're on my number, uh, my number two. All right. Let's hear it. So I, I'm, going, uh, I'm going sports here. And uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. You're gonna put him over Brady? Yeah, I don't. I don't have Brady on my list. That's a surprise. I really thought you were gonna go. I really thought you were gonna go Brady number one, just because you're a massive fanboy for no reason. I am. Well, I'm. I don't know if I don't have a reason, but either way, uh, I don't have Brady on the list because to me, when when you talk about him with other guys, he's he. I mean, he's just not masculine, even though he's a, an NFL quarterback. He always gets called some derogatory term by somebody I'm with, and you know. So I was like, "Yeah, I, I, maybe there's not a lot of straight guys that think he's sexy." <laughs> you know, I looked at Ronaldo, and I didn't see it right. Like, I'm not going to put him above David Beckham, and I'm not going to have either one of them on the list. Oh man, Christian, <laughs> the global, the global, how big he is on a global scale, and the fact that he's like 35. It has like two percent body fat. Come on, I just don't. I don't. I I disagree. My uh, uh, let's see. My number two is Henry Cavill, the Superman guy. <laughs> You're gonna put him above Christopher Reeves? Yeah, dude. Christopher Reeves <laughs> dead. <laughs> I know. Um, I mean, once, I mean, that's fine. I mean, he's probably the the most believable on your list. Yeah, he. I mean, he's in The Witcher, right? Like he's he's a big. I think he's a muscular guy. He's into computers and shit. Has a personality. Doesn't do stupid stuff, right? Looks good. Henry Cavill is my solid number two. I'm I'm wondering if our number one is the same. So it's not uh, my number one. I have Brad Pitt. Uh, my number one. I have Denzel Washington. Okay. I. I don't argue with either of them. I mean, Denzel, though, to me, isn't like that. He's not like that good looking, right? I don't know. Brad Pitt, I think, is like the epitome of men probably in the last 100 years. I mean, he's a good looking guy. He's a, I don't think he competes with Denzel. I don't think he competes <laughs> with Ricky. I don't compete, think he competes with Jude. I, I would really love to get a, a, a couple other guys' perspectives on this and just see just see who they put on here on their list. I feel like every guy's list is going to be so different. I would be I'd be wondering, like, right? Straight guys put straight guys rate rate the top five most attractive men. Who you have in your honorable mention? Uh, so I put Ryan Reynolds down. I actually had Beckham down on my list. Uh, I put George Clooney. I also had Tom Hardy. Uh, Richard Gere, and then uh, I went on a, like kind of a, a musician kick. So like I had um, um, 
Steven Tyler on the list. What? Yeah, because... Steven Tyler? Right, so my, my thought... He looks like, like a caricature of a real person. Well, I also put, like, Keith Richards, and, like... My thought behind that is, is right, they might not be, like, the sexiest guys alive to a man. To women, I mean, women love that crap. But, like, the dude can sing. He's in a fucking rock band. Like, then why I mean, not put? Awesome. Why not Rob Zombie? Uh, Fred Durst. <laughs> I mean, neither of them are attractive men, in my opinion. And I'm not sure I would call at least one of them a, a, a real musician. Okay. Look, I'm going to give you just – I'm going to name random famous men. You tell me yes or no. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to start with Fred Durst. No, 100% no. Jason Bateman. No. Alexander Skarsgård. <laughs> Maybe, but probably not. Jerry Seinfeld. No. Sean Connery. Yes. Yeah, Sean Connery's a secret yes, isn't he? Yeah. Alex Trebek. No. Idris Elba. Yes. Yeah, I can see Idris Elba. I'm running out of people. I ain't got anybody else that I can think of. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm surprised if you just came up with that off the top of your head. I was just thinking of shows that I've watched recently. That's about the only thing I could come up with. Clint Eastwood. Prime yeah, Clint of Eastwood. Oh, of course. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, to be honest, we probably could have done a list just of actors and of sports figures and of just musicians. I mean, we live in a culture that's right based upon people trying to be attractive and sexy. Okay. How about you? How do you feel about Reggie Bush? <laughs> uh, I think he was great in college, terrible for the Detroit Lions. So thank you for that. And uh, a whopping no in terms of the attractive meter. Okay, all right, well, all right. <laughs> That's a random NFL player name to throw out there. That's pretty much all the people that I could think of, honestly. I don't really have anybody in my honorable mention. I don't see Tom Hardy. I don't get it. I certainly don't get Steven Tyler and Keith Richardson. Well, Richards, but it's fine. It's, you know, it is what it is. It's... Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I really want to hear from you guys. Like, let us know what men you think are attractive, right? Do John and I have good taste in men? Do two happily married men have good taste in other men? We're legitimately curious. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.